I could also turn that on, doesn't it? All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, as you can see on, as you saw on the video, um, we are continuing to collect for the Lottie Moon offering, and 100% of the money that is given is going to go directly to impact our IMB missionaries around the world. Now, if you if you have a church background kind of like I do, you, you remember missionaries would come and visit the church and they'd have to spend part of their time trying to raise funds and then they'd get to go back. But there was always this constant worry that they weren't going to have enough money to stay on the field doing God's work. Well, thankfully, through the giving of the Lottie Moon offering, all of our missionaries are able to stay on the field and that's one less thing that they have to be concerned about. So if you have not had an opportunity to do that, uh, the giving boxes are in the back. Just write Lottie Moon on your check. Uh, if you're not prepared to do it today, you can mail it in or give it next week. Um, it is there for you. So if you have your scripture or if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 19. Uh, Tina did such a marvelous job of reading that that I don't think I can improve on it. So uh, Psalm 19, we're going to look at the entire psalm this morning. Um, but as I was praying and studying for what to preach today, this being the last Sunday of 2020, I really wanted to give an admonition and an encouragement towards spending more time in the scripture. I mean, we're about to start a new year, right? The new year starts on Friday. And what do most Christians do at the beginning of a year? We start a Bible reading plan. Now, we've usually given up on it by about the middle of February, but we start a new Bible reading plan. That's why every, every January 1st, the first thing I post on Facebook is, shout out to all my people reading Genesis 1-1 this morning. So naturally, when, as I was preparing for this, thinking about that, I went to Psalm chapter 19, one of the most beautiful declarations of God's word. However, though, as I was reading it and studying it, it became clear that David, the author of this psalm, he wasn't just praising God's creation or God's word. He was praising God himself. As with all of scripture, God is the focus of this song. And it's through this psalm, Psalm 19, that we can see how God reveals himself and makes himself known to us. So that's our first point this morning. God reveals himself through creation. Now there are many writers, many theologians who have written that God has written two books. The first book is the book of nature, and the second is the book of scripture. And another way to say that in, in, in theologian terms is general revelation and special revelation. And the first six verses of Psalm 19, they speak directly to general revelation. General revelation is the revelation about God that's given to all people. In these verses, we see that David is describing the revelation that comes through nature, specifically the sky and the sun. And what, what is it that the sky and the sun are declaring? Well, Psalm 19 verse 1 tells us that the heavens and the sky are proclaiming the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is displayed in several ways. First, there is no end to God's glory. Psalm 19.2 tells us that it's from day to day and from night to night. It is in a continual circle. One of the things that, that we teach in, in school is we teach about earth's cycles and how if something goes wrong in that cycle, something is wrong. Well, God's glory is declared from day to day 
and from night to night. There is no end to it. Ever since the night and day were created, way back in Genesis chapter 1, the glory of the Lord has been on display. We can't help but see God's glory because it is always before us. Second, we see the glory of God is abundant. Again, in verse 2, it tells us that God's glory pours out. Verse 4 tells us that it goes through all the earth and to the and to the ends of the earth. Now, I was never particularly skilled in geography. It's not something I enjoy learning about. It's not something I enjoy teaching. But it's pretty clear that David is saying that the knowledge of God's glory, as displayed through the skies and the sun, cover everywhere that people are. And then third, using the sun as a picture of God's glory, David states that it's never-ending and it's inescapable. Psalm 19, 5 and 6 describe the son as a bridegroom leaving his chamber and a strong man running a race. There is no corner, no crack or crevice that is not affected by the heat of the sun. And this is also true about the glory of God. Does the glory of God being on display this way, does it bring joy to your heart? Right? When, you wake up on a, when you wake up one morning and you look outside and everything is covered with brand new snow, does it bring joy to your heart? Or when you see an absolutely glorious sunset, right? you can't get more beautiful than a sunset, does that cause your heart to burst forth, forth with joy? Does it cause you to worship not the creation, but the creator? Our hearts should rejoice even at the smallest example of God's glory in creation. I don't know if you've ever heard of an of a, a, a insect called the bombardier beetle. Right? But the bombardier beetle, it has this defense where it lets off a little explosion to keep its uh, predators away. And what happens is there are these chemicals that mix inside of the beetle, and they mix together, and then they explode outward. Imagine the, the, the imagination and the creativity that took in creating that insect. That's the glory of God on display. Because if that explosion goes badly, if it points the wrong direction or it's even off by a little angle, we don't have the bombardier beetle anymore, right? We have bits of the bombardier beetle, but we don't have the bombardier beetle anymore. And because God's glory is on display in such obvious ways... I mean, you can't get any more obvious than the sky or the sun. Think about it. It was massive news this past week that two of the planets were going to be aligned and visible for the first time in several hundred years. You couldn't escape that news. I went out on my back porch to look for it. Clouds. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. 800 years, I get clouds. But, right, it was God's glory on display somewhere behind those clouds. Because of this, we have absolutely no reason not to acknowledge the existence of God Almighty. He is visible everywhere we turn. But sadly, though, sin causes us to reject and deny God. This is what David was describing in Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3, when he said, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from the heavens on the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. 
And so Paul repeats this line of thinking in, in Romans chapter 1. He states that, the reason, that this is the reason that God's wrath is revealed from heaven. His eternal power and divine nature were on display. But instead of honoring God and th- or thanking him, we began to worship the creation instead of the creator. So as a result, mankind is without excuse. This answers the question about what happens to people who have never heard about Jesus. They're still held accountable. Thankfully, as we're going to see in our next point, God didn't just leave us without a means of salvation. Had he left us in our sins, he would have been justified to do so. Instead, he gave us Jesus. Just like the sun, the grace of Jesus influences every corner of the earth and every heart of every person. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, He makes a circuit of mercy, blessing the remotest corners of the earth. And there are no seeking souls, however degraded and depraved, who shall be denied the comfortable warmth and benediction of his love. Even death shall feel the power of his presence and resign the bodies of the saints and this fallen earth shall be restored to its pristine glory. That brings us to point number two. God reveals his grace through scripture. As we see this in verses 7 through 11. Not only does God reveal himself to us through nature, but he also reveals his grace to us through the scriptures. Here in Psalms 9 verses 7 through 9, David lists out a number of unique benefits that come to us through the scripture. This is an exhibit of God's grace, God's grace on display. It's through the scriptures, that Bible that you have in your hand or maybe on your phone, we are told specifically what God has in store for those of us who believe. Without faith, the Bible is nothing more than some interesting stories, some beautiful poetry, and some confusing laws that seem to be on the wrong side of today's culture. However, for those of us who believe, there are benefits that come from God's word. Now, before looking at these, it's important to note that this is coming specifically from the Lord. Each time we see the phrase, of the Lord, so the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, and so on, we need to understand that David is using the personal name of God, Jehovah. And why is this important? Well, in the first six verses, he used the more general name of the Lord. But once we get here to 7 through 11, he's using his specific, God's intimate name. And because this revelation is made available through the scriptures, and it comes only to God's children. While nature reveals God to the entire world, the scripture reveals God to his children in an intimate and personal way. Just like my own children can call me daddy. Nobody else gets to call me daddy. I'm not, trust me, I'm not about to say daddy God or any of that stuff. But there's more of that, that intimate personal relationship that we see here in these verses. And while the repetition of God's name Jehovah makes for a good poetic rhythm, the reality is that using it this way stresses the authority of the author. David is stressing to us the divine nature of the scriptures. The scripture you hold in your hand, the scripture that David is rejoicing over, 
are the very words of God. We have in our hands the very words of God. The apostles Paul and Peter also stressed the divine nature of the scripture in their writings as well. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And Peter wrote, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We can trust that the benefits from reading and obeying the word of God are true because they are the words of God. Let that sink in for a moment. You possess the very words of God, the creator of the universe. Does that resonate with you? So the first thing we see is we see that the law of God is perfect. The word perfect here has two meanings. So one, it means that it's complete. In God's word, we have all that we need to know about our sinfulness and God's grace and mercy in making salvation known to us. We have no need for additional revelations or special words from God. All that we need is found in the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. But not only is God's word perfect in being complete, it is also perfect in that it is flawless and without blemish. We can trust the truthfulness of God's word. And what is the benefit of God's wall being perfect? It revives our soul. The King James Version translates this as it converts. It is God's word that leads to our salvation. Our salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And where does, that count, where does that faith come from? It comes from the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.15 said, and it says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of God. The second thing we see is that the testimony of the Lord is sure. The word sure means that it is a solid foundation that we can build our lives on. Did any of you grow up singing the song, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock? I told Tina I wasn't going to sing, so I'm not going to. But right, if, you, if you went to Sunday school, if you did junior church or anything, I'm sure at some point you sang the song, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock. Right? And, and what happened to the foolish man? The, wise, the, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And that when the rains came down and the floods came up, his house went splat. And I remember teaching this in junior church while growing up. And the kids loved that song because when they got to the part where the house fell down, they were all like, splat, right? They were excited. Well, when the rains came down and the floods came up, the wise man's house stood firm. For those that build their lives on the testimony of Jehovah, we can be certain that our foundation is sure. The benefit is that the simple are made wise. The implication is here is that compared to the Lord, we are all simple and in need of instruction. And it's through the scriptures that we learn the wisdom of God. Third, we see that the precepts of the Lord are right. The word precepts here refers to the detailed instructions concerning everyday life. 
The adjective right doesn't refer to the opposite of left or even the contrast between right and wrong. Instead, right is describing the precepts as being morally and ethically correct. They are the standard by which everything needs to be measured. And the result of following those precepts, our hearts are full of joy. Following rules doesn't exactly sound very joyful. Doesn't sound joyful at all, right? I went to college and I looked at the rule book and I said, this place isn't going to be any fun. But I learned that when you live within the rules, when you follow those rules, there's freedom in doing that. My heart was full of joy being in college when I followed the rules. When I went outside of the rules, not so much, not so much. In following the precepts, we know how we are to live our lives in ways that honor God and help us to avoid the consequences of sin. Our culture may change and the influencers of the day may decide that God's laws are outdated or that they're even wrong. But the truth is, it's our sinful hearts that change, not God's laws. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now the final three adjectives used to describe the scriptures are pure, clean, and true. These words contrast with the world around us. Think about the phrases and rhetoric that we've heard over and over, particularly over the past few months. What do we hear? We hear the words like fake news and lies and untrustworthy and so on. Isn't it refreshing to know that in a world that is so full of falsehoods and lies and impurity, that the word of God stands out? It's just like when a diamond is, on, is displayed, what do they do? They take it and they put it on a pure black cloth so that all of the glory and all of the beauty of that diamond the, can stand out. The purity and cleanness and truth of God's word stand out when displayed against the darkness in our culture. This is the word of our God. Now I would be remiss if I didn't share with you this point as well. All throughout Psalm 19, 7 through 9, I've told you that the phrases such as law of the Lord and commandment of the Lord are synonyms for the word of God. But do you know another synonym for the word of God? It's Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 1, we read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, and the word was God. And then down in John 1, 14, we see, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what we just celebrated on this past Friday. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. All of the descriptions that David gave for the word of God are true about Jesus. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is sure. Jesus is right. Jesus is pure, clean, and true. And it is through faith in Jesus that the benefits of the word become true for us. It is through Jesus that our souls are revived. It is through Jesus that we are made wise. We have joy through Jesus. Our eyes are enlightened and his righteousness becomes ours through him. 
as I stated above. These become ours by grace through faith in Christ alone. So I ask you, are you trusting Jesus? Now after reflecting on the beauty of God's word and the grace that has been shown through these revelations, David realizes what a treasure he has in the scriptures. He says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. I looked it up the other day. Do you know how much an ounce of gold sells for right now? It sells for nearly um, $1,900 for an ounce of gold. The words of God are worth more than that. And sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. As believers, we are called to treasure and desire God's word. It is our life. Have, you ever seen, have we ever seen God's word that way? Do we understand the value of the gift that we have in the scriptures? Men were willing to die, to be executed in some of the most horrific ways so that others might possess the word of God. Are we drawn to the scripture knowing that it is, the lamp, it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path? And then finally, David points out the truth of this section. The laws and testimony of God have been given to warn us of our sin and the blessing to, that comes from keeping them. He says, moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Now, I referred to this point as God reveals his grace through scripture. And I did that for two reasons. First, we can see God's grace in the fact that he instructs us on how we are to live. God wants us to live holy lives that are obedient and honoring to him. And he do doesn't just leave us on our own to figure it out. He gave us his word so we can know his desires for us. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And the book of Proverbs, the, it was written for this very reason. Proverbs 1 tells us they were written in order to give instruction and wisdom to the simple. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 119, another psalm in praise of the scripture, tells us that those who follow and obey the scriptures will be blessed. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And not only is God's grace revealed by instructing us through the scriptures, his grace is also revealed through the warnings we receive. One of the things that has really resonated with me as I read through the prophets is the mercy of God shining through. As you read the prophets, especially the minor prophets like Hosea, Joel, Amos, Nahum, so on, they are full of some really strong warnings and some pretty intense description of what's going to happen to the people to whom the warnings are directed. Like I'll sit down and I'll read them and, I'll, and I'll, when I'm finished I'll go, wow. That's some, that's some pretty tough language. And, and sometimes I'll struggle with trying to understand what it was that I just read. But here's the thing. Those were warnings. They were given before God's wrath comes. 
It's almost as if God is sending his messengers to warn the people so that they would change their ways and turn to him. Why does it seem that way? Because that's exactly what God was doing. God was sending the prophets to warn the people so that they would turn from their ways and turn to him. Think about Jonah for a second. What was Jonah's message? He was told to warn the people of Nineveh that the judgment was coming. And Jonah didn't want to go because he knew what God was going to do. The Ninevites were a wicked, sinful people, the scourge of the Jewish people. Nothing would have made Jonah happier than to see them punished. But he knew that God would forgive them if they repented, which is exactly what happened. The Ninevites turned from their wickedness, and God forgave them. We heard last week that God's anger has to be provoked, but his love is always ready to burst forth. This is one of the reasons that God gave us his word, personified in the man Jesus Christ, because he wants to warn us of the wrath to come. He wants us to know that all men have sinned and that the wages of sin is death. In his grace and mercy, God revealed himself through the scriptures so that we might be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should, should reach repentance. So with all of this in mind, what is our response? And that brings us to our third point. The believer is obligated to respond. In light of these revelations, God's glory in the creation and God's great grace in his word, what are we to do? What should our response be? Well, first, as we see in verse 12, we need to cry out for forgiveness. The Bible tells us that all have sinned. No one gets off the hook. No one is righteous. When we look at ourselves in view of the scripture, we should come to understand that we are all sinners in need of forgiveness and in need of salvation. This is why David cries out, declare me innocent from hidden faults. And that should be our prayer as well. Because we can never know just how short of God's righteousness, our, how short we fall of God's righteousness. Our only hope is to trust Christ. It is Christ's righteousness that covers our sins and it is only in Christ that we can be declared innocent. Our second response needs to be from verse 13. We need to cry out for protection from sin. David prays that he would be kept back from presumptuous sins. Our default position is to go to sin. Roman, or Paul teaches in Romans 7 that we will continue to sin even when we don't want to. And it's only through Christ that we can push back against any sin that seeks to destroy us. Without the grace of God to fight sin, we can be easily overwhelmed. And don't for a moment think you can fight sin on your own. We must rely on Christ. Charles Spurgeon also wrote, He who is not willful in his sin will be in a fair way to be innocent so far as poor sinful man can be. But he who tempts the devil to tempt him is in a path which will lead him from bad to worse and from the worse to the worst. 
We must cry out to God for protection. And finally, we must cry out for help in pleasing God. In verse 14, David's prayer is that the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart would be pleasing to God. Is this your prayer? David wasn't satisfied in just saying the right words. He wanted his thoughts and his actions to be pure. He wanted both the outward and the inward to be honoring to God. We must understand that it's possible to say all the right things, but be wicked in our hearts. This is what Jesus said to the Pharisees when he called them whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but full of the bones of the dead. We must be cleaned both inside and outside. And that only comes through faith in Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Now this psalm, as a beautiful reflection on God's creation and on God's words in the scripture, communicate one truth to us. There is a God and he desires your heart. Donald Williams wrote this. All of revelation, general and special, all of God's streams of communication to us have but one goal. God wants us to know him, to worship him, to obey him. All of the heavens and all of the Bible are for us. It is through the glory of creation that we can know that there is a God. And it is through the beauty of scripture that we are told that we are sinners, that we can be forgiven, that we can be clean before God, and that all of this is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for I thank you for the scripture. Just as David in Psalm 19 thanked you for the scripture, thanked you for your glory that was on display through nature, but more importantly, on display through the word of God. Lord, I thank you that you have given us your, your word recorded here in our Bibles. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just love the scripture, but that we would love the God of the scripture, who through his grace made himself known. You made yourself known in your word so that we might, we might be able to live lives that are pleasing to you. Lord, I trust, or I pray that as the new, year become, the new year begins, that we would look to the scripture so that we might learn more about you. And in learning more about you, we might live lives that are pleasing to you and glorifying to you. Because that's what it is, Lord. It's, it's all for your glory. We love you. We thank you for, for the blessing that we have through this church and through the scripture. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. Stand together. Sing we the song of evil.